and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. This week, we are talking about the Criterium du Dauphiné, which was won by Primoz Roglic on Sunday with his teammate Jonas Vendergaard coming in second overall. Um, ben O'Connor from Aje Dua came in third. Great ride from him. I mean, really just an absolute clinic by Yumbo. We'll talk a little bit about that, though. Kind of a bit of a pass-fail test for them there. Um, they couldn't really do anything other than destroy everyone. And we'll kind of pick some hairs on what exactly that means. We also have Tour de Suisse going on this week. Um, just interesting little GC battle there. Uh, not a lot of big contenders, but I'm curious to see how it plays out. And then we got the old guys uh, winning some races. We had Peter Sagan yesterday, Daryl Impey today. Pretty interesting to see. Tour Slovenia going on. This is really just like a Tade Pogacar filmed uh, training ride. He is just really messing around in his home country, having a good time. It's a beautiful place to ride. I cannot blame him. I would love to be in Slovenia riding right now. And then we're going to go over some big picture power to weight numbers. But if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a free edition comes out once a week. Paid edition comes out every day during Grand Tour. So with the tour coming up, you might want to get on that. You'll get daily breakdowns and discounts to select brands. So check that out. There's a link in the show notes. It's beyondthepeloton.substack.com. All right, Curtium du Dauphiné. Let's talk about this. Yumbo was incredible. They won, I believe, just off the top of my head, three stages. Wout Van Aert won two Jonas Vindegaard won one. Primoz Roglic wins the overall, does not get a stage win, but they had the yellow jersey, the leader's jersey for seven out of the eight days. Um, pretty impressive. Couldn't have been more dominant, so especially the last two stages, which are really hard mountain stages. I'm embarrassed to admit I don't pour over the roots of these lesser stage races in advanced. And um, I was on a hectic family weekend and just kind of watching this in the morning before things got crazy. And I, I was shocked. It was almost like we were watching Tour de France mountain stages, like really difficult stages. Um, the only thing though, is it's hard to compare this to the tour. I mean, Yumbo was controlling the race, setting pace, Jonas, uh, and Steven Kreuzweg and even Wout were impressive. I, I thought that Wout would, he was the race leader going into Saturday. He cracked with uh, 2k to let 2k to go in the day's longest climb mid stage. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that. I thought he might lose like 20 seconds on the summit finish. Um, and then it would be kind of an interesting battle the next day where he had such a big lead that maybe he could lose 30 seconds and still kind of squeak out an overall win there. Um, but no, he, he he really cracked. I, I'm sure this is just him going all out in that with the opening few stages going for stage wins and not really caring about the overall here. I feel like sometimes maybe I want Wout Van Aert to be a GC rider more than Wout Van Aert wants to be a GC rider. So uh, maybe I should just let it go. He's he's never going to put his whole heart into that. We know he can climb. He won the double von two stage at the Tour de France last year. So if he really needed to, he could probably get over those climbs. But he is all in for green at the upcoming tour. And also he's going to have to moonlight working for, uh, I guess, Primos, maybe Jonas. We'll talk about that in a second. But he certainly did a lot of work, especially the next day on Sunday. I, I was really impressed with him. But um, Primo's, I, I thought it was interesting. First of all, Kreuzweg did a great job on Sunday. Um, I think Steven Kreuzweg rode his way into their two defense team. But then let's talk about their two leaders, Jonas Vindegaard and Primo's Roglic. There was a point on Saturday where Jonas kind of like launches Roglic for an attack. And normally there you'd see a teammate like pull off and just sit up and ride to the finish. Like they'd be done. Um, you know, Primo's got a good gap. He gets, he puts like 10 seconds into Carlos Verona, who was leading them in like 0.1 kilometers. There's 1.4 left in the race at that point. You think, well, we've seen this before. Roglic is going to mow him down. He's just going to like, he just has this knack to just reel in guys like they're standing still and win stages. But he doesn't, he gets 10 seconds. He closes 10 more seconds in the last 1.4K. 
doesn't really get, I think he finishes about 20 seconds behind, doesn't win the stage. Jonas behind was clearly just, I mean, he was not even close to being on the limit. Like he just sits on um, Ben O'Connor's wheel when he's behind and he's even pulling O'Connor at some points. Almost looked like he was goofing around. Um, you, you would never advise someone to do that because you're just pulling O'Connor closer to your teammate. Let's say Roglic has a bad moment the next day, a flat, a crash, and the race is decided by a few seconds. Then you've potentially helped Ben O'Connor win the overall. So you, you would never recommend this. It just looked like they were so confident and he was so strong that it was just fun for him. That, that was the first sign we had to like, yeah, Jonas is, is looking pretty good. He, I, th- I think he had a slightly disappointing time trial in stage five. He lost, you know, off the top of my head, I think it was 30 seconds to Primos. So, but going into Sunday, I mean, it was, it was like a clinic by, by Yumbo. They have a, almost a full suite of riders at the base of the final climb. Stephen Kreuzwick pulls for her kilometers on the climb and then like, ramps it up even more before he pulls off. It really thins the group out. Jonas takes it up, was really, really, really jamming, just dropped everybody. Um, He just rides away from the group with Primoz on his wheel. You know, it's always hard to tell what exactly is going on here. Just from my point of view, watching it, you know, it looked like Primoz was in trouble. It looked like he was hanging on for dear life. You know, in Vindegaard, Jonas takes it to the finish line you know, he, he tries to sit up with Primoz to do like the Greg LeMond, Bernardino, hold hands, cross the finish line move. You know, it looked like kind of a dad, like pulling his kid along on a ride. Like Primoz looked pegged and Jonas looked really good. I was shocked at how good he looked. Um, they only put, you know, something like 14, I think maybe it was 15 seconds into a Connor. You know, they dropped him with four and a half K to go. They only put 15 seconds into him. You know, I wonder there if if he had to hold back a little bit for Roglic. You know, he looked so good when they dropped him. You would have thought that they would have put minutes into him, you know, or at least a minute. So, you know, I don't I don't know exactly what's going on there, but you know, and we should take this all with a grain of salt. We we're still two weeks away even from the start of the Tour de France, let alone, you know, another week into the tour before we have our first real any type of difficult finish. So who knows what's going on? Maybe they're on different trajectories. Just looking at that, watching that race, watching those final two stages, you know, it kind of looked like Jonas was stronger than Primos. So we, we could be looking at an interesting little situation here. And it really reminded me of Chris Froome versus Bradley Wiggins. You know, if you remember that tour that Bradley won in 2012, you know, Froome was, was waiting for him on the climbs. Froome was a stronger rider. He just wasn't, didn't have the time trial chops down yet. You know, maybe Froome was never as good as time trialing at Wiggins. Wiggins was amazing, but, you know, he, he did figure it out and became a very good time trialist later. That's exactly what we saw here where, you know, Jonas stumbles in that time trial somewhat. We know the guy can jam on the TT bike, as we saw in the final time trial of the tour last year. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens at this tour. And the thing about the Dauphiné that we just saw is it had 30-something kilometers of time trials over eight stages. You know, the tour doesn't have that much more kilometers of time trialing, if, if I'm remembering it correctly, and it's over 21 stages. So the, the TTs are going to be less important at the tour than they were at this Dauphiné. So we could be looking at an interesting situation at Yumbo. Um, I assume those guys are both going in as protected leaders. The road will decide. I've gone over this many times in the newsletter. There's a lot of problems with the road decide. Uh, strategy if you're always just riding for the strongest ride the guy who's strongest on each day you can end up with just like a quilted strategy where someone's strong one day they're not strong the next day and instead of consolidating behind one and adding up the good and the bad days to an aggregate that wins you the race you know you're stuck just that just 
going between the two, and then you both end up second and third. That's a common thing, and we see Ineos do this all the time. I'm curious to see how they handle this. Um, the, the TT should give us some clarity on that. But, you know, to add to the difficulty there, you have Wout, who, you know, he keeps saying in the media, like he, he will not stop saying, like, I'm going for green. I want uh, help from the team from this. You know, he's been really selfless up to this point in his career. He hasn't gone for the green jersey. He hasn't prioritized it. He's really just worked for, for Primos at the tour. After 2020, you think, you know, maybe he's saying, God, I did all that just so we could lose the race on the second to last day. Like, I don't know if I want to do this again. Can we even really beat Pogaccio? Maybe we should just focus on green. So they're going to have a lot of different, you know, priorities and egos and goals to manage that team. Um, I, I do not envy the, the decision makers there heading into this tour. But um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it opens up potent, a potential you know, fight for the green, especially with Sagan looking so good where, you know, head to head Sagan and Wout, you know, I, you even wonder is, you know, these new guys are so good. Peter Sagan was amazing. Um, I think one of the best of all time at what he did, he won three straight world championships. You know, Wout is more versatile than, than Peter ever was. So um, head to head, you think, well, that's not even a competition, but with Sagan looking good and he's going to have the full support of his total energies team. You know, we could have an interesting green jersey battle in our hands, and that's not even taking into account Matthew Vanderpool, who, um, if he's in this tour to, to be in it for the whole time and is going for green, we could have an amazing fight on our hands. All right, Tour de Suisse going on right now. This is much like Switzerland, the country, uh, unbelievably beautiful. On paper, nothing wrong with it. I'm having a hard time watching these stages. I mean, this is really boring. Um, I love to see Daryl Impey win today. Uh, he's a, I'm a big fan of his personally, and I think he's a good rider. And he's 37 years old, and he's still winning World Tour races. It's impressive to see. Peter Sagan won yesterday. Something I noticed about that Sagan victory, my lord, how fast was Brian Cocard? He was coming. He came from, looked like back of the pack, and he was moving like twice as fast as everyone else in the sprint. Um, didn't get the win, just missed out on it. But that's classic Kakard, though. You know, he, he never looks better than when he's uh, trying to make come from behind in a sprint. Never actually seems to be able to convert the wins, though. Um, we've seen, the, the, oddly, the first two stages were won by young unknowns. And then the, the last two stages we've had have been won by very well-known older riders. So it's like an interesting bifurcation of the winning profile there. The GC battle, you know, we don't have any serious, I don't think we have any serious Tour de France contenders here. We have Alexander Vlasov. If you squint, maybe he's a podium contender. I'm not sure about it. Remco Evenepoel, people love this guy as a GC contender. You know, we've seen him. He's amazing at a week long or like five to six stage long low climb races. Like Algarve comes to mind, Andalusia, Norway. We've never seen him perform well on, on big alpine climbs, and they don't get more alpine than Switzerland. So I'm really interested to see how he does here. You know, on paper, the guy is an amazing GC rider because he can time trial and he can climb. Um, or he can, let me rephrase that. He can time trial and he can ride watts for a long time and he doesn't weigh a ton. So he should be good, but there's just a lot to take into account with GC racing. Um, we saw at the Basque Country earlier this year that he really struggled uh, when the climbs got harder at the end and just wasn't just managing the race that well. He was sprinting for bonus seconds going into a final climb. Not advisable. I, I, would, I would never do that. So that's a really bad idea. But I, I'm curious to see how he does here. And, and you know who's been surprisingly well is Garrett Thomas. He stole 
Time out of seconds today. He's sitting in third overall. You know, they came into this race with Danny Martinez, Ineos did, and I thought for sure Martinez is going to be their main leader for this race. No, he got dropped on the first stage. Now we have Adam Yates and Garen Thomas in the GC for them. You know, if they can hold this through the rest of the, the Tour de Suisse, I think they're going to be the two leaders for the Tour. Um, I under no circumstance think either of those riders can win the Tour de France, but I'm really curious to see how Ineos manages that and, you know, how far can they go? Can Adam Yates podium at the Tour? He's never podiumed a Grand Tour before. Um, it's wild to me that a team with that budget has a 30-year-old rider who's never gotten a podium at a Grand Tour and a 36-year-old on the start line who hasn't won a major Grand Tours in four years. Um, not a winning formula, but I'm curious to see what happens. I would actually love to see Yates or Thomas beat Remco and Vlazov in this GC. If I'm being honest, I think that would be hilarious. Um, and just kind of a reminder of that, yeah, Remco might have a lot of potential, but maybe he's not where we think he should be as a GC rider. Um, it just We just haven't seen it. You know, I like to see it. And He's done one Grand Tour, and he didn't finish, and he struggled in the high mountains. So I, I need to see something here at Suisse to really believe that he can transition into a Grand Tour rider. Winning Grand Tours is incredibly hard. It's an incredibly specialized skill. Um, it's not cut out for everyone. So it's, if, he wants to win a one, if he wants to win like lower climb one-week races and, and one-day monuments for the rest of his career, he's going to have a great career. That's just, you know that's kind of like the Julian Alaphilippe or Valverde. I know Valverde won a Grand Tour once, but um, not a consistent Grand Tour contender. You know that that's a good career to have. You can make a lot of money and and be quite famous doing that. Um, Tour Slovenia first stage was today. Uh, Pogacar and his teammate Rafa Mika rode off the front with Domen Novak from Bahrain. We know Domen because he got second, a close second on stage twenty at the Giro d'Italia this year. It's an interesting little note I noticed about this is, so Doman makes, I've heard he makes 60,000 euros a year, which is a steal for a rider who could, you know, now he's gotten a second place at a Giro stage, a second place at a Slovenia stage, which norm, normally wouldn't be a big deal, but, you know, in between two UAE riders who are going to be two key players at the Tour de France, you know, he's probably making in a week what Pogacar makes. He makes in a year what Pogacar makes in a week. So it's just interesting to see. You know, if you're really careful about it, building a team, you can get a lot of good riders that do not cost you a ton of money and will get results. Um, that should be the big, big takeaway there. You know, Pogacar didn't win the stage. His teammate Rafa Mike did. Barely, he could barely win. They uh, were doing the one-two attack on Doman. You know, should be an easy way to win a stage. Rafa got off the front and was just like falling apart. You know, really cramping. Probably has to do with the heat wave going through Europe right now. You know, they. Pogacar broke the race up with like 50k to go. Um, it's just hard to ride 50k that hard off the front when it's that hot out. Um, you'll eventually just fall apart. Honestly, I wouldn't read, you know, Pogacar, I know he just came out of the Dolomites. He was doing really, really, really hard training rides at really high altitude um, for like the last few weeks. So I don't think he's going to blow anyone's socks off with his power numbers at this race. He's here just having a good time, getting some pre-Tour de France hard riding in, which is probably why he attacked. He just wanted to ride hard to prepare for the Tour. He's going to win this overall, probably with his eyes closed. If, if Micah doesn't, he might gift it to a teammate. That takes us into the last thing I want to talk about today. Um, I've just been seeing, I think, a, as like the cycling public and media becomes more power literate and we get more power data, um, especially the estimated power data, which tends to be pretty good. I um, there's a lot of people I follow that put out estimated power data that I think is really interesting. But 
I think it's not to be taken as gospel. I've seen, I saw a piece that Rimko Evanepoel is like the best climber in the world because his watts, estimated watts per kilo at the end of a tour, the Norway stage, were higher than any, any time of Pogacar's career. You really should, these are not things that you can compare from race to race. They're all race specific. A, the altitude plays a huge role in it. I mean, your power varies based on altitude wildly. Also, how was the race raced up before those climbs? You know, I saw Brandon McNulty put out about 6.1 watts per kilo, I believe, for the final climb of the Dauphiné. You know, that's good. That was 30-minute climb. That means Roglic and Pogac- sorry, Roglic and Vindegard were putting out, you know, probably 6.3. You know, th- those are good numbers. Those tell us those guys are fit. That's probably all it should tell us because it's not as easy. I, there's a lot of people who calculate these numbers and then say, well, Rimko is going to win the Tour de France because he can put out more power per weight on this climb at Norway than Pogacar can. So lock it in. He's winning the, the Tour. You just cannot compare that. I mean, it, how, how was the race raced up to that climb? It can fatigue you. How was it raced on the climb? These guys are not just going into the climb and riding as hard as they can to the top. There's racing dynamics. It's all very, very complicated. You know, specifically Grand Tours. Remco's never finished a Grand Tour. That will dull your power output. You will never have the sparkling short-term watts you had before, you know, after finish a Grand Tour as you did before. Also, when you're in the third week of a Grand Tour, it's not about, you know, do you have just amazing training power to weight numbers? It's how are you managing the fatigue and the positioning and like the art of racing throughout the three weeks? So you know, it's what percentage of your best are you now competing at? If you only degrade three or four percent, you're Tade Pogacar. You can win any Grand Tour you want. If you degrade a lot, you're just not, you know, like a, like a normal person, you're not cut out to be a Grand Tour contender. So there's a lot to take into account here. I've just seen a lot of it flying around recently, and you really want to be careful with that. It's just a guide to say, you know, is, is Pogacar progressing? You know, these are interesting numbers. We can see that Roglic, and especially Vin- Jonas Vindegaard, is probably better than he was before the tour last year. And that's about it. You cannot really compare them race to race and say, well, if, if Remco was at the Dauphiné, he would have dropped everyone and won the race. It's like, well, you know, how, would he have gotten dropped two climbs out because you know, he couldn't hang early in a race and then put out big power numbers at the end of the race? You know, or maybe his power numbers wouldn't be high and he's got... 20 minutes in him that look great. Maybe he doesn't have three successive 20 minutes, you know, slightly below that to even make it to the final climb. So it's just stuff to think about when you're reading a lot of these estimated power wrap-ups and whatnot. It's a super complicated thing. It's more of a guide, more of an art really than anything else. It's not to be compared race to race to. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week. I'll be back next week with a wrap up of the Tour de Suisse talking about what we really know heading into the tour. And then I'll kind of pivot over to my Tour de France coverage and we'll do a couple specials before that race starts. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Have a great week and I will talk to you next week. Bye.